0: questions you always had the answers
1: you were never given the place to seek the truth welcome to veritas it is not often that i get the opportunity to interview another truth seeker with his own radio podcast his motto is believe is the enemy of knowing which is 100% compatible with our goals of uncovering the truth here You may have seen his videos of lunar waves and many other astounding HD clips. He's interested in many topics, and tonight we'll try to dissect many of them. His goal is one, like me, to uncover the truth. Greetings, I'm your host, Mal Fabregas. And to listen to this interview in its entirety, subscribe at VeritasRadio.com. Tonight's special guest is known worldwide as Crow or Crow777. He holds a degree in internet technology and has been working in the digital field since the 1990s. He was also a U.S. Marine during the first Gulf War. And we have a lot more on his bio right on our website. His website is crow777radio.com and Crow with two R's. And it's also linked at our website. He joins us from somewhere east of the Mississippi. Hello, Crow, and welcome, finally, welcome to Veritas. How are
0: you? (laughs) Hey, man, thanks for having me. I'm actually in the great state of Rhode Island, but uh thanks for having me on, man.
1: East Coast. Well, I wanted to keep you anonymous because you're pretty, you know, you don't put your face out there, your name, and I totally understand why. But, you know, first of all, it's it's a great pleasure for me to interview somebody like you who does your own podcast, and and you discuss many of the topics that we discuss here. You know, when somebody interviews me, they always ask me for my journey, how did it begin, and so on, and I like to do the same thing with you because you're... You're here in your first time. How did your journey begin and why?
0: Well, in the modern era, uh, it was because of telescope work. But basically, since I was very young, I didn't do so hot in school because I've always questioned everything. Um, But I think what you're asking me is, how did I come to the modern path? And that started... Uh, On a supermoon when my nephew and I were looking through my telescope with no way to film at the time And we saw these black triangles transiting the moon and that's really what launched me on the trajectory that brought me to where we are now
1: Now these waves I've seen your videos and I think that you've used sometimes two different cameras So people can't say well, it's a camera glitch because it's happening at the same time with two different cameras for those who haven't seen those waves, can you explain what you 're seeing
0: yeah, it looks it looks a bit like an old seventies v h s tape refreshing right, but um the truth is the very first one that I caught in twenty twelve at the fall equinox or very close to the fall equinox. Um, anyone who actually takes the time to examine it can absolutely prove that the camera didn't do it because if the camera was producing the wave, then any movement in the camera should be locked to the wave. And not only that, the wave goes out of frame and then catches back up to the camera. So from from the outset, it's been provable that it's not camera malfunction.
1: Have you had any so-called experts contact you? And, of course, I presume that trolls have been flooding you with saying that it's just a glitch, But what have you concluded so far? What is that wave?
0: Um, (laughs) well, I I guess if you want me to identify exactly what it is, I would still at this point be speculating. I have my suspicions. Um, but you first asked me if I'd had any kind of like official, official response. Some years back on my channel, I put out a call to all my followers to contact their local observatories and, uh, Have them review the clip and make a comment. And many, many people did this. And one single observatory, I always think it's like in Norway or Scandinavia or something like this. I just don't remember anymore. uh, Made a very terse comment out of all the places that were contacted. And they said it was clearly atmosphere. Um, I would again point out that a camera has a thing called depth of field. Um, And so if we are to accept the NASA model that the moon's nearly a quarter of a million miles away, that means my camera is focused on an object nearly a quarter of a million miles away. So for the lunar wave to be in focus uh, would dictate that it's much closer to the moon than it is to me. Um, I don't accept those distances, but just for the sake of argument, that also informs us of something. Let me also begin
1: by saying that we're going to be discussing a lot of topics that some people get uncomfortable when we discuss here. Uh, Flat Earth being one of them. And by the way, neither Crow nor I want to be called a Flat Earther. We don't like to be put in any silo or group. We're independent thinkers. We're We're simply asking questions. The distance, you mentioned the distance from Earth to the moon to the sun. Do you believe in the distances that we have been given by NASA and the rest of them?
0: No. um, In my view, the moon and the sun are much closer. Um, You know, here's one for folks to think about. Whenever you see or have seen filmed a solar eclipse, what you're being told is going on there is that the moon's coming between uh, the Earth and the sun. Now, it perfectly covers the sun and uh so we're told what the sun's something like 93 million miles away we're right. told the moon's something like a quarter of a million i think it's actually like 340,000. i forget so around a quarter of a million uh, miles away and so yet we have this perfect kind of alignment where the moon doesn't just kind of cover the sun i mean in most cases it perfectly covers it and i would point out that there have been many statisticians that have gone at this and said it's Frankly impossible for random events to have caused this and that's just something for people to think about but as I began to spend time uh, thousands of hours filming the moon through a telescope using binoculars watching it uh, many things happened over the course of probably close to four years and over that time you begin to get an experiential kind of knowledge that you can't really get any other way you can try to explain it to people they're not really gonna get what you're talking about because they haven't put in the endless hours staring at the moon one of the examples I used was there's a a white crater that you can see on the moon uh, when it's near full called Aristarchus anyone can go look this up it's roughly 40 miles in diameter um and that's listed as a naked eye object and so, uh, you know, I asked people, should we be able to see uh, an object 40 miles in diameter at nearly a quarter of a million miles away? You can do the math and make up analogs, you know, put something on Earth that far away and imagine that the atmosphere is perfectly see-through. Could you see these objects? And the more I began to do this, the more I came to the conclusions that nothing about the, the solar system model we've been told uh, by the space agencies is correct. But you've been watching the moon
1: daylight. Nighttime, every single light possible. Some people say that the moon is a hologram. Some say that it's transparent. Some say that uh, you know you see so many versions. To me, it looks like a solid object. What is what is it to you?
0: Well, when I first started to try to describe the lunar wave, I used the word hologram. That's unfortunate. Um, people immediately got hung up on the technology of I guess it would be called holography yeah. I'm guessing um and so I realized very quickly that that was a poor way to try to describe it I then called it a facade um I went through a few iterations what I now say um is that the moon is not a rock in space um and that in my view you likely couldn't walk on it if you wanted to um and that's the best I can do for now and the problem with that is, is a lot of people aren't satisfied with that answer but the truth is if I go any further than that I'm 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 speculating beyond your wildest imagination.
1: I hear you. What about the moon having its own light source?
0: Yeah, I think that's quite possible. Um, These are tough things to prove. Um, You know, it's a bit like uh, the matrix idea. Are we living in the matrix? Well, I've considered this, but how would you ever prove that? Um, I've spent lots and lots of time thinking about what kind of a construct could I build to try to prove that one way or the other. So the moon giving off its own light I've done a lot of things. I've taken prisms and I've, uh, you know, broken apart sunlight onto white paper. I've put that same prism behind my telescope without an eyepiece to concentrate the moonlight, shot it onto paper. Um, They look similar, but they don't look exact to me. Um, But at the end of the day, that's not really enough. Um, And I'm just at a loss. I'm not sure how you would go about emphatically proving Beyond dismissal uh, that the moon is generating its own light. I may think of a way at some point. I just don't have it now.
1: What about the people who have, I don't know if this proves that the moon, you know, emits its own light, but they have proven the change in temperature when they put an object in the shade and they determine the, the temperature. And when they put it on, you know, moonlight and the temperature drops, what does that tell you?
0: Well, this is another one of those things where there's absolutely something to look at there. Um, But for my money, I think a lot more people need to do experiments and people with higher education should get involved. Um, When that's been done enough times, I think we really start to get a foundation. But clearly, clearly, there's something there to see. Um, It has been demonstrated that it's quite likely that moonlight is cool. But again, a lot of people need to go at this. It's a bit like the flat earth movement. You know, it's not something that I'm ever going to join, I'm never going to call myself a flat earther, but I appreciate watching all the people challenge certain aspects of things that don't seem like they should need challenging, when in fact they probably really do. What bothers me the most, from
1: both sides, is that they attack each other. You know, those people who are looking into the flat earth, let's continue doing that. I don't see a problem with that whatsoever. And there are many, many compelling arguments, and to me, one of the biggest arguments, and I I am I know people are getting bored for me saying this. I have a a second home in the beaches of Mexico and I can see Baja from my house. I can, you know, in the afternoons and I've, you know, I went to Google Earth, determined the distance about 90 miles away. The, you know, the top is about, you know, 5,000 feet altitude. It's impossible. Completely. That mountain should be completely invisible to me. Now, that's one of those compelling arguments that keeps me looking at
0: this issue well there's you can 't dismiss it. we can see too far there it is. the curvature model that we 've been given the you know eight inches squared per mile calculation is incorrect. Um, we can prove this in any number of ways. I finally proved it for myself, looking across a body of water. Um, but that doesn't give us a new map of the world. It doesn't give us a picture. And as you said, uh, so many of the flat earthers come and they pick fights with the people who are not flat earthers and vice versa. And, you know, I've said for a long time, this is a in, in the modern age, joining groups is problematic. And this is exactly why, because you could have a 100 people that call themselves flat earthers that don't want to fight with anyone that just want to try to demonstrate a truth one way or the other. Yeah. And then you get one guy in that group that goes out on YouTube and causes trouble, and that whole group suffers. Um, and this is the problem with groups.
1: Well, it becomes almost dogmatic. So that's why you know, I don't like to belong to any group. I want to do my own independent research, and I move with the evidence. That's why I have you today, because I've heard some of your podcasts, and you have great evidence about other stuff that I want to explore. But, you know, let's, let's go to Apollo the Apollo mission I call the Apollo mission a 150 in today's money billion dollar giant hoax for man- mankind. What's your take on Apollo?
0: Uh, it's all demonstrably nonsense. Um, it's it, you know it we came to a point I don't know where it was sometime around the turn of this modern century, I suppose uh, when things started to change. maybe it's partly because of the information flow, maybe it's because as human beings uh, were're awakening. But what was passed off in 69 and the 70s and so many people swallowed, um, anyone who wants to now in the modern age go back and examine these things, you'll quickly understand. It's just nonsense. There's not any portion of it that holds water. No one's ever been to the moon. Um, And a lot of people that want to hold on to that dream will say things like, well, then clearly there's a a secret uh, space program and and they're doing things they're not showing us and and my you know that's a bit like using a myth to try to substantiate a myth in my view um you have no basis to make that claim you have no basis to even think that's possible what we have is evidence that they lied about everything they did Um, that's what we have
1: not only that but sometimes you tell people you know why we haven't we gone back to the moon and i like to dissect this even more uh, just you know it should have been commercialized by now, almost 50 years later. But every time you talk to a ufologist and you mention this, the first thing that they say is, oh, it's because they met aliens on the moon and we were told not to return. That is the biggest one I hear all the time.
0: Well, that's there, there's no basis really for aliens either. Uh, you know, I just did a recent podcast on modern ufology. And let me make it perfectly clear. I can't tell you what may living creature may be in our universe if there is such a thing. But what I can tell you is nonsense that is demonstrable nonsense. And the modern ufology movement is filled with it. Um, gray Aliens, we tracked him back to H.G. Wells. Um, H.G. Wells has come up in a number of our shows. He's a sci-fi writer. And not only that, he has links to the Tavistock Institute. Um, the, uh, the modern idea of reptilians – uh, was attributed to a college professor in, in modern times. I can't remember, recall his name, but he lifted it from Conan the barbarian. Um, and people will come in and say, what about the Emerald tablets or the cabalian, whichever one it is. Um, and they'll try to keep these things alive. But what we can do in the information age is track things back and kind of build a timeline. And Jason and I on my show do it almost every episode just to demonstrate how the timeline has developed. And so many times when you look at things in this way, uh, you can see the nonsense on the face of it.
1: Jules Verne, H.G. Wells, L. Ron Hubbard, all these people, in my opinion, just created the science fiction we know today. And all of a sudden we say, oh, look, Jules Verne, he talked about submarines and rockets. And we have rockets and we have submarines almost as if they were the, the, the forefathers. Same thing with uh Dinosaurs, I I forgot who, I think it's a British uh, author or scientist who discussed that uh, before.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, these sci-fi writers invented so many of the things that we have today. They're attributed to the royal circles. They're attributed to hanging out at places like Tavistock, uh, which is responsible for so much of the social engineering. Um, But in the case of things like satellites, um, in my view, there's nothing in space. There is no man-made machine in space. Satellites are nonsense. Arthur C. Um, Clarke, wasn't he the one who coined the word satellite? Yeah, it was either Arthur C. Clarke or the other guy. I always get them confused. Without Jason here. Is my my wingman <laughs> Sagan or, wingman. or Clark? Yeah, no, not Sagan. Uh, any, I, I think it's Arthur C. Clarke. Eyes um, Asimov. Asimov. I, I, yeah, he's always the guy. Yeah, I think it's Arthur C. Clarke. Um, but you know, you have these guys. It's a bit like L. Ron Hubbard. You know, another sci-fi writer inventing a modern religion. These are all nonsensical things. And in the case of dinosaurs, I just did an episode recently where I flat-out claimed um, dinosaurs were made by a knight which means he was a servant of royalty, um, the royal house that knighted him, and he invented them before there had ever been a single shred of evidence. And when you follow the timeline out, um, you know, many people hearing this, will their head will spin. But I'm sorry, dinosaurs is a fantasy. They never existed in this world.
1: Every time, every time we discuss this topic, I have to say that whenever I've been to big museums in New York, in London, and I asked the people there at the museum, can you show me some real bones? Oh, I'm sorry, but they're put away somewhere. And why is that? Well, we just don't want people to be touching them. Not even a single bone that you can show me of of a real dinosaur. What does that tell you?
0: It tells you a lot. Not only that, you know, in the episode we recently did on this to kind of out the fraud, and we're not the only people doing this. There's a lot of people around who have been going at this. Um, there's actually a corporation in China that is making whole hog money, uh, making replicas. And they even on their website, they state they're using things like hippo bones, crocodile bones, giraffe bones, whale bones. Um, and then they're casting things out. But not only that, there's never been, a single dinosaur skull discovered anywhere. There's never been a complete dinosaur skeleton discovered anywhere. And to top it off, you point to one of the most troubling aspects of this all. You've never seen a real dinosaur bone. What you've seen is what's called replicas um, put together in museums and it's Plaster. just big bit. Bu- yeah, it's big business. It's what it is. Um, it's nothing more than business. And, you know, it was funny because it was some years ago. The first time I heard someone make the claim Uh, that no dinosaur skull had ever been found or displayed uh, or inspected by someone without a vested interest in dinosaurs. It wasn't long after that, I saw some engineers in a chat room basically breaking down that these are impossible things if you take things like this brontosaurus and these other just massive creatures um, they were saying things like their guts would fall out their rib cage couldn't hold it in their their leg bones could not support the massive weight and that set aside the whole idea of how does a creature that size eat enough grass and weeds and other things they were pointing out you know cows got four stomachs this type of thing what's a brontosaurus got 60 stomachs you know but (laughs) when when you get through uh, open-mindedly looking at everything there's really only one conclusion to come from and if you follow the timeline back you'll see that a knighted person from the british royal house uh invented dinosaurs long before anything tooth fragment toenail anything had ever been supposedly found
1: one of the explanations that you get is that maybe maybe with the expansion of earth theory that Gravity was not as powerful as or as strong as it is today, and that's why dinosaurs and bigger, you know, mammalians and reptilians used to uh, inhabit this planet. But the one thing that we see evidence, and I've even received pictures from Iran a few years ago after an earthquake. Somebody, one of our listeners who, whose father lives there, sent me some pictures of female skeletons, nine feet tall female skeletons unearthed after the earth earthquake which tells me that there were giants that inhabited and walked this earth. Yet when we open our history books, our science books, nowhere to be found in any of our school books. Yet we see all these dinosaurs all the time.
0: Yeah. I I think you and I would probably have a differing point of view, which is fine and probably great for the listeners to hear because so many people get upset when we begin to talk about things that they may not agree with. But um, I've seen a lot of the giant skeleton uh, work and images. I, I just don't accept it. What I've come to a place where really common sense dictates my day. Um, I would rather be incorrect using common sense than using this theory or that theory or some other unsubstantiable thing uh, to make claims. And the problem here is is that, well, take dinosaurs. Why is it that dinosaur bones are always in small concentrations? I just saw a show the other night uh, where they were going into some totally remote spot the only way you could get there was helicopter and when they got there there was a t-rex skull sitting there waiting for them. and they had to take a a helicopter in you can just see the theatrics and the stagecraft that goes around this um you know jason mentioned in the show we just did um that seemingly no ancient cultures had ever really talked about finding bones or any other things and of course that lit up the chat rooms where there was all these claims that clearly the ancient greeks thought of cyclopses because they mistook dinosaur bones and again we have a myth you know working to substantiate a myth here but anyhow i'm not sure where i wandered off track there
1: well i can well you're probably referring to a lot of these giant uh, skeletons underwater and so on i've seen those images too and Oakham's razor i don't believe a lot of those i'm referring to something else somebody sent me SU. you I want to be able to know. I want to be able to see for myself. I, I don't believe anything. I'm just saying that if it is true that these existed, and, you know, let's take, let's take the Bible, and, and I'm not religious, but they don't talk about dinosaurs, yet they talk about giants. Yet we don't see them anywhere.
0: That's right. You know, I, I use this analogy on my show a lot. Um, in the actual real world where we all live, if a thing exists, we can know a thing about it. You know, like if there's a new truck, that gets made by Ford or Chevy or somebody. We can know the colors it comes in, we can know how many doors it has, how many horsepower, this type of thing. When a real thing exists in the real world, we can know things about it. And to some degree, uh, I've almost gotten to the point where whenever I see a mystery being portrayed on television or somewhere else, um, I see it for what it is. It's nonsense. Mystery's a bit like a mind hook um it's this thing that's not going to get solved uh it's going to always raise more questions than ever get answered it's almost like a little mind trap a hook just you know thrown out there to hook so many people and reel them in and you know i really do rely these days on the idea that if a real thing exists in a real world we can know things about it
1: or at least focus your energy on that real thing now This is something that's going to offend some people. You know, ever since I started this radio program almost 10 years ago, the reason why I started it is to discuss the UFO phenomenon. But people ask me, do you believe? And the answer is always, no, I don't. And this is why I'm always asking questions. However, I've never seen an alien. I've never been abducted. However, I have seen strange lights with my own eyes and the way they behave There's The technology that we have been presented, there's no way it can behave that way. Those are the only things that I see in you with all the footage that you have. I believe that you've you've filmed the equivalent of the the TR-3B Aurora project or things along those lines, have you?
0: Well, anyone could go to Crow777 on YouTube and go back to the older clips. And I, I doubt there's many people out there that have filmed as many weird things as I have. Um, and I'm with you. I don't accept uh, UFOs as aliens. Everything I've shot, I think, is easily attributable to human technology. Um, and you must keep in mind that usually the best technology is hidden away for as long as it can be um, think of things like the stealth You know, for the longest time they didn't want to admit that now you go to air shows and you see one anytime you want um, but you know, I've even filmed things that, to this day I, I can't make heads or tails of it there's a particular shot while I was out filming chemtrails uh, where on this day my wife and I could see what's called orbs with our naked eye typically yeah. we would film and then see them in the film occasionally we would know we were filming them but on this day we knew damn well we were filming them um i wish i would have took her advice she wanted to get out the scope but i was so worried if i put everything down to go get the scope out and set it up that i'd miss everything but as fate would have it one of those orbs went down into a chemtrail traveled against the wind uh the whole time it was doing this you can see the chemtrail pushing to the south as the orb goes to the north i was watching this not only through my telephoto or my 35 mm lens uh at the time with a canon t2i but uh with my eyes as well, so I could see the whole thing very well. But what I didn't see and when I went back to review the film, I realized that the orb actually shoots this weird plasma thing out of it twice um, into the chemtrail. Um, to this day, that's maybe one of the most perplexing pieces of film I've ever filmed. But again, I can't attribute that to Little Green Man. I just can't. Anyone can go look at that footage, and it's a pretty amazing piece of footage. But nonetheless, it's the simple answer here is that it's somehow connected to the chemtrails and human technology. As a matter of fact, about a year ago, a guy who had some very clear, clear skies had been in, I think it was either Maui or Molokai. He was a native Hawaiian. And uh, he contacted me and he had filmed what looks like orbs being dropped out of the back of a plane. They look very similar, put it that way. So, you know, there it is. Anyone can go look at the footage. Um, You can look at the astounding number of things that I've caught. And, uh, you know, you're talking to a man who's just not going to accept that those are little green men that I've been filming. As a matter of fact, um, so many of the things early on, I was accepting as satellites. Um, As time went on, I learned more. I got more experience. Everything I have filmed, in my view, is within our atmosphere, and
1: this is the issue folks you see all these things and we have been programmed to believe that we're not capable of of manufacturing these orbs or these you know flying craft but the same thing goes for you know i had a conversation with the dogon tribe years ago and they get absolutely upset mad when you tell them oh these pyramids or the Balbic you know structures or any anything else around the world they must be by extraterrestrials they get mad and they say why is it that people don't give credit to human beings who may have been more advanced than us at that time
0: well that you know that's one of the things that cracks me up about television like take ancient aliens the show Oh, yeah Um, before you can ever watch that show you have to accept the premise that people can't do anything they go all over the world Um, they have beautiful cinematography and they basically show you a lot of monolithic stuff, which I would question the age out of all of it, including the pyramids. I would absolutely challenge the age. But setting that aside, um, why can't people have done that? Um, give me one good reason. People do amazing things. Go go to Europe right now and look at a Gothic cathedral. Actually walk in one, and you'll be stunned at what a human being can do. And while these may not be analogous to each other, my point is is – I don't understand why people are so willing to buy into magical beings from elsewhere came to do this when we're here. And the simple explanation is, is that we did that. See, the question
1: is, why is it that we don't have the technology today that can replicate those monolithic structures? And you mentioned, I'm thinking of Falconelli and, and his work on, on the cathedrals. It was the Vatican who stopped them from building more because there were so many secret messages being built inside of those cathedrals. That's why we haven't seen anything, you know, for the past, what, what would you say, 100 years?
0: It, it's been quite a while, you know, and I've done some research uh, where some claims have been made that originally some of those stone churches, they're now churches, uh, were meant for natural sciences, to teach about natural sciences, and they were co opted into the religious um, traditions. I don't know for sure that that's true, um, but there's some pretty profound arguments being made there. But I would point out. Um, you know, I live in Rhode Island now. When I'm in San Diego, which is where I just came from, there's not many things around that you could call very old. Um here there are some things you can call old. I was just at a, a mill where they grind corn. Um and the, the original place that was set there was in 1675, I think. So pretty old stuff. But there's a lot of masonry left, things built of stone, and it really is a stunning thing to see because It is so much more than the cubes and boxes we live in now, and it seems there has been a conscious push to really dumb down the race. I think television is evidence of this. I think our music is evidence of this. But when you examine some of the buildings that were made Maybe two, three hundred years ago, if that's an accurate timeline to the buildings that are made now um, it's night and day. It really is night and day. We basically live in rectangles and cubes now there's no artistry there's no concern for the people that will occupy the buildings there's no nothing being taught there's no mastery it's simply a rectangle or a cube for the most part, um, complete with fluorescent lighting in most cases. Go back and look at some of these older buildings. And, you know, it looks a lot like de-evolution by intent to me.
1: Going back to Apollo here for a second, you know, the 33rd parallel. Then you have Roswell, the 33rd parallel. The astronauts who allegedly walked on the moon, all Freemasons. Doesn't that tell you something? And also, and folks, this is going to offend some of you who listen to this program merely because of the UFO talk. Do you think the alien agenda was created by the Tavistock Institute?
0: Well, I did copious amounts of research to do an episode on social engineering of which Tavistock played a prominent role and by their own Mouth by their own documents. They claim to have been responsible for so many of the things. The, the modern alien agenda in UFO and ufology, they claim they started it. Uh, things like Greenpeace, things like the World Wildlife Fund, it goes on and on and on. Um, Planned Parenthood, believe it or not. There's a list there that leaves out so few social aspects of our modern life that it's almost astounding. And some of these documents were leaked. Um, like the one that where they flat out admit they're declaring war on the young generation of the 60s with drugs and music. Um, that document was found in a Xerox machine that someone got their hands on, was never supposed to have seen the light of day, but I don't think there's any denying it. You know, um, what's reasonable here? Is it reasonable that we have invisible aliens we can't see or little green men or, you know, any number of things we can describe, or is it reasonable to take a common sense approach? Um, if you go look into the Tavistock Institute, I think most people listening would be stunned to understand the sweeping, sweeping effect they've had on, on the modern age.
1: Folks, listen to my interview with Dr. John Coleman and, and you'll see exactly what Crow is saying. But, you know, we go to Roswell, 1947, and then we don't hear about that. We, we The public really doesn't hear it, You know, we heard the news saying, you know, a flying object has been found, blah, blah, blah. But we didn't hear anything else until the 1970s when Staten Friedman came out with the info and then he be- all of a sudden it became mainstream. Yes, we had some, you know, uh, movies that dealt with the topic, but it was in the
0: 1970s when he really blew up. Yeah, Mr. Friedman should be ashamed of himself. Um, first of all, you're being asked to accept that people in the military can't tell the difference between a UFO, a crash flying and a saucer, and a weather balloon. So on the face of it, it's ridiculous. But I would also point out Jason and I did a timeline on this. I think it was two weeks before the claimed Roswell crash that the term flying saucer was coined. And then when the Roswell – yeah kenneth arnold exactly and then two weeks later i might not have that exactly right but a short while later um when the roswell thing is being claimed they're already using that fresh new minted word flying saucer that had just been invented supposedly by some journalist or taking his words of a skipping saucer or however it is supposed to have went down you can see the nonsense of it if you're a common sense reasonable Logical person, you will instantly see the nonsense. And and that sets aside things like the 33rd parallel and the whole Stanton Friedman. And and not only that, this is another one of those mysteries. It's a mind hook. Um, Every year, more books get written on Roswell. Is there anyone out there? That can say that we've learned something new, that we finally closed part of the case. You know, is is this? Does it ever go anywhere? No, it's a mystery that grows more limbs every time a new book is written about it, and that also sets aside the nonsense of the, you know, the supposed plastic dummies the Air Force, you know, later tried to get people to buy into um, as part of the mythos.
1: And they were not, not even available in 1947. Now, a plausible, a plausible answer to this could be also. You know, we've heard about the advanced technology that the Nazis were working on. Operation Pipperclip, a lot of those engineers, scientists came all the way here. Why, you know, how what could it be that one of these craft was being tested? It crashed, and the best thing to say was, whoop, it was out of this earth, and then just killed the, the rumor so that the Soviets could perceive that maybe we captured something so exotic that they would be scared about it.
0: I don't know, man. I I think I think we're stretching a rubber band beyond its elasticity here, (laughs) because if you consider that we were actually in World War Two, if you accept that and there were actually Nazis, you're talking about a very short while before what we're talking about here now could they keep secrets during the war do you suppose so if in fact it was some secret technology they were trying to hide then why didn't they hide it you know why did we get this whole mythos and then why do we have a joker like stanton friedman who's clearly establishment not only that isn't he a nuclear physicist or some such? Yes. Um, we yes. just recently did a show showing that nukes are, are nonsense. As a matter of fact, I'm trying to get a nuclear physicist on my or a, a nuclear engineer on my show. Don't know if I'm going to be able to pull this off, but through a friend of mine, um, they contacted to say that we were absolutely incorrect in the um, assertions we made about nuclear energy. Uh, it's just heat. You know, there's a guy named Galen out there who went around eating uranium and other things to show people. Um, Basically, people will not accept that there are no nukes right now. um, It's the year of the rooster, by the way. Uh, That's a whole alchemical thing going on. I won't take the time to explain it, but they're playing all these kind of nuke shows on television. And one of the things we rip apart in our nuclear hoax show was the Bikini Atoll. Which was Operation Crossroads, by the way, which is, again, an alchemical crossover, but they're now showing footage of coconut crabs. First, they're telling you, um, you can go back here and hang out for a while, but the ground and everything else is saturated with radiation, and you'll die if you eat anything here. Well... First of all, there's trees growing everywhere, and there always has been, and trees have cells just like human bodies. So there's the first tell. Secondarily, there's coconut crabs all over that island eating coconuts, and for some reason, their magical cells and their magical bodies allow them to live 40, 50, however many years a coconut crab lives. But recently, like within the last couple days, I saw them filming – I think it was nurse sharks, I hope I have that right, and they were saying nurse sharks have two dorsal fins, but here magically at the McKinney Atoll, we're now seeing nurse sharks that only have one dorsal fin, so clearly, all these years later, we're starting to prove that nuclear radiation um, contributes to birth defects. Well, let's take that apart for a second. Does a nurse shark have cells in its body? They're showing sharks here that are, I don't know, 11 feet long. They're big, big sharks. We know what sharks eat. So if that place is radiated, they're eating radiated things. So again, do sharks have cells in their body? It's just the problem here is, is that we are a gullible breed. And anyone who wants to step back from the table, take a deep breath and logically begin to break down some of these things we're told, you're going to quickly find that you can't balance the ledger. And Bikini Atoll is a great place for anyone who wants to know the truth about nuclear weapons to start. And, you know, I know so many people listening are going to say, well, what's going on at all those nuclear energy facilities? Well, I'll tell you, they're boiling water. They're just doing it in a really expensive way.
1: And this is the most difficult part for anybody who wants to become a truth seeker. You need to shed that believe skin. And it's tough. I know it's tough. Cognitive dissonance kicks in and it's very difficult. But you were referring to this gentleman, Galen Windsor. You know, he eats uranium, drinks and swims in reactor water. Then I'm thinking of Nagasaki. I'm thinking of uh, uh, Hiroshima. They are thriving cities right now. If indeed radiation biodegrades in what a, what, a billion years? What is the the, the outrageous number they give us? <laughs> but These places are thriving?
0: Well, c- come on, man. You know, we were told as children, you know, I, I guess I'm probably older than a lot of people that are listening. But as children, we were told the half-life of radiation was like thousands of years. As a matter of fact, when I was in the Marine Corps, I was in Japan, um, and we went to some of these places. And I remember asking, you know, how is it that we can be here? And no one could answer. But here's my point. In the case of Nagasaki and Hiroshima, there has never been a time when people, plants, and animals did not occupy that ground. Never, not before, or after, or during the supposed nuclear blast. Fireballs. And not only, yeah, of course, uh, something like that probably. But who, who the hell knows? If for all we know, it could have been a Hollywood stage set. Um, you know, very few people are aware that RCA, which controlled most of the media going into the uh, wars, was weaponized, was militarized going into World War II. They had full control over the information system. So it's hard to know exactly what may have happened. But for your listeners, would you be surprised to understand that that was the year of the rooster, um, that those supposed nukes were dropped on Hiroshima and Nagasaki. This is a direct tie to alchemy and the idea of mercury. Um, there's a YouTube channel out there called Hoaxbuster, uh, who recently unveiled Marie Curie, which would be the very, you know, foundational roots of the idea of radiation yeah. as mercury. Marie Curie, mercury, get it? The game, the wordplay that goes on all the time. You people should go over to Hoaxbuster and give his Marie Curie clip a watch. Um, just by chance, I had been working on the alchemical idea that the, the world mind was being transmuted into a lower mind, um, and when I saw the clip he did, it just happened to be one of those clips that was done in exactly the right way to unlock so many questions and keys that we needed um and after that everything be able you know started to fall in place it wasn't long after that i took the robert johnson myth apart uh robert johnson the supposed delta blues man he's an alchemical construct i have a clip up on that or how about the silver surfer silver surfer is a encoding of mercury as well, uh, from alchemy, uh, where mercury or Hermes was a messenger to the gods or a herald to the gods, the silver surfer who is actually quicksilver or mercury himself is a herald to the God Galactus, who also has the mercurial horns on his helmet. And of course, Galactus transmuted him into the silver surfer or mercury. It goes on and on and on. Um, you know, I guess I guess I should back off. That's kind of a ramble, and that's a lot for people to get all at once who maybe not, you know, might not have walked up to that door yet.
1: It's okay. We're gonna ramble, uh, you know, sometimes here because we're talking about so many things. But you mentioned the year of the rooster being 1945. We know right. what happened that year. Now we're we're heading towards North Korea. This is another year of the rooster. What do you think might happen?
0: <laughs> you know. I think we can tell all we need to know about North Korea when we understand that Dennis Rodman was once the ambassador (laughs) for the United States who went there. Do we need to know anything more? Really, people, do we need to know anything more? Whenever you have a place in this world like Antarctica or North Korea where no one can go, you shouldn't trust anything you're told about it. You, you need to challenge the information and when characters like Dennis Rodman show up, I, I don't know who wants to take that seriously. It won't be me. I won't take that seriously.
1: I think the Kim Dynasty there in North Korea is perfectly placed for a reason. They're kept there because it just it's great for the military-industrial intelligence complex.
0: Yeah, you know, all the world's a stage, and apparently North Korea is a big stage. Uh, Hard to know. I can't get in there. Uh, I don't know anyone who has been in there. I've actually been to South Korea twice. Um, I did it once as a roadie, and I did it once in the Marine Corps uh, during the first Gulf War. But I, I don't know how we look at things like this knowing what news is, knowing that things like 9-11 or Sandy hoax have happened and been broadcast by the news with a straight face telling us that these were seriously true events and this lie, lie, lie the whole time they're talking about it. How do we ever take a report from places like this about a place like North Korea? Uh, in my view, we can't. It's all nonsense to me.
1: You mentioned Antarctica. What do you think is happening down there with so many heads of state and religious you know, people going down there?
0: I don't know. You know, I I commented recently on one of my programs. I just sent Anthony Bourdain, uh, who's now a proud member of this. Yeah, he's a proud member of the CNN family now. Um, So I guess, you know, you sell your soul for rock and roll or however that goes. Um, But Bourdain took a film crew down to supposed Antarctica. And one of the things I noticed about that show was Mr. Bourdain kept complaining about how no one will respect or take science seriously anymore. And so I did a correction and an edification for Mr. Bourdain on my show. I, you know, I'll say it here again, Mr. Bourdain, it's not, that we don't respect science. It's that we don't respect scientism and that we are fed up with the lies. And we're sick of people like theoretical physicists making nonsense up and then trying to convince the rest of us this is our reality. Um, And again, most of us are quite aware that our car and our refrigerator were built with science. And I think most of us appreciate that. But I thought I'd throw it in there. It's hard to know what's going on down there because the coast is apparently guarded by whatever it is, 50 or 52 treaty nations, supposedly. And I know a lot of people in the flat Earth community would challenge that and claim that the coastline of Antarctica goes all the way around this joint. But again, um, I can tell you the curvature model is BS. I can prove that. Um, I can give you evidence that proves it with lighthouses. But I can't draw a new map of the world, and I can't tell you what this place is.
1: Could there be places on this plane or planet that have not been explored and perhaps there's a different type of being who lives there, perhaps with, you know, we call these craft extraterrestrial. They could be manufactured by our own people, but could also, could it be a different type of humanoid who lives in these places and we haven't been able to reach him?
0: Well, I'll meet you part way. Um, I think if it is correct that our world has been misdescribed, I think it goes without saying that the most precious thing there is, is land. The reason is is because you can't make any more of it. So I think it's quite likely that there could be – well, by Admiral Byrd's own description, uh, there was more land beyond the South Pole yeah. than the United States. So, and he was an admiral, so of course he was lying to us. Um, that's what admirals do, I guess, or that's what the military-industrial complex does. But my point is this. If they have misdescribed our world, I think it's a safe bet that there's land masses we don't know anything about. In terms of other types of beings, I would – Maybe meet you halfway. I would suggest that the people that run this place would probably appear a bit like a different species than us because they have had good information for Lord knows how long. They've known what to eat, what not to eat. They've probably had food that doesn't have things like fluoride or aspartame or other things, which is purposely put into the majority of our food supply. Um, And they've also had the, uh, the real knowledge. So I would submit that they have been for lack of a better turn, evolving at a, at a better clip than the rest of us. So maybe they would appear to be a bit of a different species just because of their intelligence.
1: I've mentioned this before. Years ago, there was this elderly couple that passed away here in, in Arizona, in Tucson, and they, they, they wanted somebody to inherit their collection of books and newspaper clippings all about the UFO phenomenon. And I have hundreds and hundreds of these books and the newspaper clippings from the 1950s, 60s, 70s. But a lot of these books were written by former military. Now, knowing right. what I know, and I know this offends a lot of my friends, you know, folks, the UFO community is a cottage industry. If you That's go right. against what they're saying, if one day we, we find out that, you know, there really not, are no extraterrestrials, it's just maybe inter, interdimensional or something else, what happens to their industry? So all these people who are former military allowed to write these books, if there's so much secrecy, how would they allow this information to be published?
0: Well, you hit it on the head. They wouldn't, would they? If they were holding a position that gave them some ability to know secret things, then how is it that they're later writing about these secret things? This is the mystery thing that we were talking about earlier. This is the mind hook that traps so many of us. We all need to get to a point where, first of all, we don't get upset if we have a different point of view of someone else. It's perfectly okay. Part of the problem in the digital age is the fostering of putting people at odds has been one of the primary things that has been pushed. And it's been very effective. I mean, look what we have now. Words like troll, which we didn't have so many years ago. Conspiracy Um, theorist. Right. My point is this. If you don't agree with someone, that's fine. But do you really have the right not to agree with them until you've investigated what's being laid down? And I would suggest probably not. And this is the crux, you know, the very crux of the idea that belief is the enemy of knowing. I can ask you, would you rather believe in a thing or know about a thing? It's that simple. Um, Just to be perfectly clear, it's not a run at anyone's religious beliefs at all. It's a simple, simple thing. Would you rather believe in things or know about things? If someone says something like dinosaurs don't exist, which I said earlier, and it slaps you across the face and your first impulse is to get a little irked by it or to roll your eyes and think it's silly, I would suggest to you that until you've investigated the idea, you're not really helping yourself out. Because if you investigate the idea, who knows what you might find.
1: Not only that, but when you go again, I'm going to pick on these uh, the, the latest museum I visited, the 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 uh, the one in London, and you see Lucy there, which is the the merger of the caveman and and the Homo sapiens, and we haven't seen a single in the fossil record, no nothing that shows a human or humanoid in transition, yet we see this Lucy character, and everybody believes it.
0: That's right. They did the same thing with Archaeopteryx. Archaeopteryx was this small little winged dinosaur that was supposed to be the first fossil that proved, look, they're not just lizards anymore. Here's a flying dinosaur that has wings. Now T-Rex is a chicken. National Geographic announced this, ran, ran it in its magazine. Millions and millions of people saw it on television, and then it was shown to be a hoax. Matter of fact, I believe National Geographic had to do a retraction. The problem here is is that probably a few million people saw the announcement about Archaeopteryx, and very few people ever saw the retraction. The retraction was not printed on the cover of the magazine, um, put on all the television shows that covered it. So you can see how information is passed here. But you know, I've said so often that words have meaning. And in the case of Archaeopteryx, the suffix is telling you the whole tale. It's a trick. Ar- tricks and it was proven to be a fraud. Jason and I on crow 7 radiocom did the show on the dinosaur hoax. The day after we released that show, um, they – I forget who it was. They released a new dinosaur called Notosaur, So many of the people who are actually thinking human beings who have begun to wake up were laughing because it sounded like no dinosaur, which is actually a true thing. But I took it a step further, having recently cracked a huge part of the alchemy puzzle with the hoax buster clip and the outing of Marie Curie's Mercury and the symbolism in the Mercury symbol. Uh, I went at the word notosour. So I took apart the prefix, which is nodo, that came from the Latin notice. And in the the etymology of the Latin notice from which noto was taken, you find the word crux, which is basically cross. And road junction, so there you have your crossroads. And again, I dug in deeper, and of course, this supposed dinosaur was discovered at the vernal equinox or spring equinox. And for those who aren't aware, uh, alchemical procedures, many of them need to begin in the spring because alchemy is a very natural it's not really chemistry, but I guess I could you could liken it to chemistry, but it's very in tune with nature. In the same way, if you have a seed, there's a certain time of the year you need to plant it. Alchemy works in this way as well. You have to do alchemical procedures at a certain point of the year. And so, you know, I demonstrated that Notosaur was complete nonsense.
1: Now, going back to space <clears throat> or like thereof, do you think space agencies are really managed by an EXO or extra-governmental agency, and they all play the same game, which in my opinion is fraud against their respective countries' citizens by fleecing tax money.
0: Yes. Um, You know, for a long time, every space agency had the little vector symbol in their logos. And while that's not 100% true anymore, um, we could use the example of China claiming that it was putting her over on the moon recently um that's a lie china doesn't have anything on the moon as a matter of fact when i was breaking down one of the early apollo missions way back in the 60s they referenced the coming chinese hoax by talking about the stupid little rabbit whatever his name is utu utu i forget his name uh from chinese myth that sits under a cinnamon tree, which relates directly to what they named their rover which i think is change three or Chang? I don't know. Uh, it, it's spelled like the word change. I've forgotten. It's been so long since I looked at this. But you see, immediately upon landing, they started saying, oh, we've got mechanical failure. Um, it, none of this stuff adds up. You know, back in the 60s, they you should see the timeline. It's like less than a year that they start actually saying they're going to do a thing and they put people on the moon and bring them back and now all the way up into the modern century China can't even land a robot there and yet we're told that we're doing it all the time on Mars. These things don't hold water when you hold them to a common standard and then when you look at the encoding and in the case of the Chang 3 or Change 3 whatever the name of it is the idea of the myth of U2 the rabbit that sits under a cinnamon tree is actually mentioned by the astronaut Collins in an audio tape that anyone can look up back in the apollo missions pre-echoing the nonsense
1: what about the rovers they've been there i think since 2010 correct me if i'm wrong they uh, were supposed to have a, a life of 90 days and my question is who cleans the lenses
0: <laughs> i think the truest statement i ever heard <laughs> about the rovers came from the big bang theory uh, where howard Wallowitz, the little jewish astronaut makes the offhand comment that, no, the rover's down a dirt road in Bakersfield. There are no rovers on any extraterrestrial planet. Um, As far as I can tell, there is a hard-fast boundary between what we call our atmosphere and what is called space. Uh, It is very likely that space has been misdescribed. It is very likely that our entire solar system is misdescribed. Um, But when you get to the point where you understand that there has never been any picture of anything taken from space. Let's take the 2002 blue marble image. I recently ripped apart a number of these on my podcast. Did you know that the 2002 blue marble image was used as a desktop for the new iPhone? I think it was in 2007, I'm guessing. I don't know if I have that right. So a million minds were programmed that day to actually accept that that was a picture of Earth from space. Not only is it proven that that is a construct, uh, we know the name of the artist who did it. And there's some quote from that artist saying something to the effect of, NASA gave me data and I made the image the way I thought it should look. But I also took apart the Apollo 16 images, the Apollo 17 images. Uh, both of times we're told they held a Hasselblad handheld camera up to the window and took a picture of Earth from space and they're provable fraud. Matter of fact, every image of anything ever taken from space is provable fraud. I did this with Pluto uh, when they were claiming they were going to do a flyby of Pluto. Um, It was the largest troll attack on my channel, uh, probably still to date. It is the largest troll attack. But when you begin to understand the scope of the fraud, um, the the table flips. it, It quits becoming us trying to challenge them and them really needing to prove to us that they have something worth looking at.
1: I think it was 1972, that first blue marble image we saw from Apollo 17, if I'm not mistaken. You know, and then we see all the progression of all the other constructs, as you call them, where the United States looks bigger, where Africa looks smaller. Right. You know, and not only that, but we have that a few years ago. We get this, this video of NASA allegedly showing us the moon going around Earth, and not a single cloud moves, and it's taken from a million miles away. And the first thing that came to mind was, look at the size of Earth and look at the size of the moon. These images that we got from the alleged astronauts that walk on the moon, showing us Earth as this little tiny blue marble also. It's impossible. It will be blocking the entire
0: horizon, the entire view. It'd be four times – if we stand on Earth and look at a full moon, to stand on the moon if we could and look at Earth, I think it would be something like four times bigger on ballpark and it here. Exactly. And, and that's what allowed people to rip apart that image of the supposed horizon of the moon with the Earth rising in the background. That's how that image was first discovered to be fraud. And that sets aside that later on – the same thing I did with the Pluto images in Photoshop by using levels. Um, I proved that the Pluto images were not just wholesale fraud, but a hundred percent wholesale fraud, complete edited cut and paste together images of nothing um, in the, in the, earth rise over the moon they had literally pasted the earth into that image and now of course nasa has doctored and removed a lot of the original files that allowed this to be shown but it doesn't matter we already know and you know that sets aside things like you know the nasa right now is telling us that we have satellites all the way around the sun that we can view any side of the sun because there's like three of them or something 93 million miles away well really then why don't we have pictures of the earth you know in the same way and we just don't they're constructs, they're all constructs and when you come to understand this is true that tells you something very important about space in general but more importantly about the supposed space agencies that are tasked with telling us where it is we exist
1: Yes, we get all these things 93 million miles away, but I cannot call my wife when I'm in the middle of the desert, in the middle of nowhere, because I get two or three hours without any kind of reception, but that's a, a different show. But we have to take a one and only break. When we come back, I want to discuss more of the moon. I want to discuss more of, of nuclear weapon, quote unquote, weapons. When we saw those images of houses being blown away and trees, those are props. I was even told by somebody who works in Hollywood who said to me, those are props. Props. That's just yes. not true. The moon temperature: hundred degrees Celsius or 212 degrees Fahrenheit in the daytime, and minus 173 Celsius or 343.4 degrees Fahrenheit. Minus. This is the different. The different. You know temperatures you see on a day on a moon day. Yet we spend 22 hours there and the Hasselblad cameras had no protection. I'll discuss that when we come back. Crow, once again, how can people learn more about your work?
0: Well, uh, I'm on YouTube. You can see a lot of my telescopic work there at Crow777 on YouTube at C-R-R-O-W-777, or my podcast website, which is my private website to get away from Google, which is Crow777radio.com. And uh, recently I've had Jason as a co-host for a long time who runs Secrets of Saturn. And we have a litany of shows that cover a to Z almost anything you could think about
1: well folks I'm very excited to have crow here with us a lot of more information I'm gonna dissect a lot more and again some of this information may offend you but sometimes sometimes the truth hurts that's just part of the process this is Mel Fabregas and you're listening to Veritas don't go anywhere thanks for listening to part one of this very important Veritas interview to listen to the rest head on over to the member section or subscribe at VeritasRadio.com. You don't want to miss the rest. Don't forget to visit the Veritas store where you can find great products like Pure Organic Sulfur, Rebounders, Turmeric, and other great supplements. Thank you.